Well, good morning. My name is Deborah Jackson. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it is my honor to bring the word to you this morning. We are continuing in Mark chapter 10. I personally really enjoy reading the book of Mark because he's just pithy and to the point. Short sentence, decl- sentences, declarative sentences. I think if, if Mark had been picked up and moved to current times, he would have done really well on social media. A limitation of words would, would not have hurt him at all. That's one of the, the good things about reading the book of Mark. And as I was looking at, at this scripture this week and, and thinking about Mark and his writing of it, I was reminded that sometimes we make value judgments pretty quickly, and that happened with Mark as well. He grew up in Jerusalem. His mother was a woman named Mary, and we think was probably a widow and a woman of means, a wealthy woman. In fact, if you remember the story of Peter, who had been thrown in jail, and the chains came loose and he was led by an angel out of the jail, he went to the home of John Mark's mother, Mary. So John Mark knew Peter. In fact, the book of Mark is Peter's story. It's his stories from his time with Jesus that Mark wrote down and we have. At one point, Paul and Barnabas came from Antioch, the church at Antioch, back to Jerusalem with an offering for needy Christians. And when they went back to Antioch, they took John Mark with them. And then the church there, after a while, sent them out on another missionary trip. And we don't know what happened. We don't know what the dispute was. But John Mark bailed and went back to Jerusalem, did not stay with Paul. And whatever that disagreement is or was, it affected the relationship enough that the next time Paul went on a trip and it was suggested that Mark go with him, he just flatly refused. He just was not going to take John Mark with him. They later reconciled. But in that period of time when Mark is back in Jerusalem, it is hearing Peter's stories. It is hearing Peter's teaching. And it is hearing Peter's, about Peter's time with Jesus that he writes down and that we have as the book of Mark. So where um, perhaps Paul would have said, you know, the guy's pretty worthless for what I'm trying to do. Look what he did in the kingdom. We're going back to the 10th chapter and my text this morning starts in verse 35, but to get there, because in, in the version I was studying in, it start, the sentence starts with the word then. So I'm going to actually go back to the scripture that Pastor Aaron used last Sunday. And we're going to start there to kind of lay a foundation to get to verse 35. So Mark 10:32 says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the 12 aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. Then... 
James and John, do you remember Sons of Thunder was their nickname? Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared for. This is actually the third time that Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be given over for crucifixion. The first time we find back in chapter 8, Mark 8. The second time was in chapter 9. And each time he added a little more information to what he told him. In chapter 8, after he, he tells them that he's going to be handed over and killed, Peter actually says, that can't possibly happen. He sort of reprimanded Jesus. That can't possibly happen. And then down the road, Jesus pulls them aside and tells them again that he is going to be handed over for crucifixion. And the next thing it says in scripture is, as they continued down the road, they argued among themselves about who was greatest. And now the third time, he has pulled them aside again and explained again with more detail this time what is ahead of them, what is ahead of him as they continue into Jerusalem. And after being told that, James and John come to him and say, Jesus, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. And I wonder how often in my own life, in my own prayer life, I have perhaps been like James and John. Jesus, I just really need you to do something for me if I ask you. Oblivious to what's going on around. Oblivious to what he's just told me. Not listening to what he's just told me. Jesus, I just need you to do something for me. Well, that's where James and John are now. And so my question, and like Aubrey had questions for you earlier, I have questions for you this morning as well. My first question is how do you follow when you misunderstand? Following when you misunderstand. They're headed to Jerusalem. They have been around the country teaching, following Jesus. And Israel is a country that's occupied by a foreign power. They are an occupied land and have been for, at this point, 60, 70 years. I'm sure you probably remember from world history, Julius Caesar. Caesar's killed by Brutus about 60 BC. And after a short period of time where some generals rule Rome, then Julius Caesar's nephew comes to power. His name is Octavian. And when Octavian becomes emperor, he takes a new name. And that new name is Caesar Augustus. Do you remember that? Do you remember that name? 
One of the first times we run into it is when he issues a decree that there be a census. And for the people in Israel, a census is never a good thing because it, one, gives the foreign power information on how many people there are to tax, to get money from, but it also puts those people on the Roman rolls of people who are now in subjection to Rome. So they would occasionally do these censuses and get the names. And every name was the name of another Israelite living under subjection of Rome. Those people lived a faith that wasn't segmented into boxes. There was no religion and church and business and home life. It was all their faith. And so they knew the ancient scriptures. They knew what the prophets had said. They knew what was written in Isaiah. They knew that God promised an anointed one to deliver them. And God had delivered them from pagan power over and over and over. He had been faithful to do that. But this power was overwhelming. This Roman power was more than they had ever seen. And so we have, we have this dense and dramatic fusion of ancient scripture that all of the Jews knew and this in-your-face pagan power. And they knew that God had promised an anointed one to overthrow the kingdom of the world, to set up his kingdom, and they believed that Jesus was that anointed one. He is the Messiah. They had stated it. They had claimed it. You are the Messiah. And in their understanding... The Messiah was going to upset the world order and institute a new order. And so I really think, with everything in me, I really think when, when James and John came to Jesus with this request, it's because they misunderstood. They knew scripture. They knew those ancient scriptures. They knew what Isaiah said. They knew what Daniel said. And even his taking them aside and telling them that he was going to be crucified and raised from the dead in three days had to somehow figure back into his setting up a kingdom, a power. In chapter 9 in Mark, the second time he tells them about this, it says they didn't understand what he had to say and they were afraid to ask him. So they didn't understand. They misunderstood they knew what God said. They knew what the scriptures said. And they misunderstood what was going to happen. And I think when James and John asked for those places on the right and left, at the point of Jesus' glory, his majesty, his glory on the cross, when God was defeating evil, that place of glory, there was a right and a left. And there were two thieves hanging on either side of him in those positions. They didn't know what they were asking for. 
But they're on the road. They're on the way to Jerusalem. They're headed there for Passover. And so there are crowds of people. There are, there are crowds following Jesus. And there are crowds who are going because that's what you do. You go to Jerusalem to the temple for Passover. And he's been confronted at different places at different times by Jewish leaders. There is a tension in the air. Something is going to happen in Jerusalem. Has to. There's just been too much going on. Too many questions they've asked. Too many times that his answers of authority have set them aback have challenged them. They're headed to Jerusalem. And at that point, when they asked, James and John asked, can we be on your right and left? Because surely what's going to happen is going to mean that Rome will be overthrown and that our kingdom will be established. He said, no. You don't know what you're asking for. And so my my question to you is, do you continue to follow when you misunderstand? And it is inevitable that there's something we have misunderstood. One of the things as I get older that I become more comfortable with is the mystery of God what I just don't understand and will never. And I am confident there are things that I misunderstand. But will you, like James and John, will I continue to follow when I misunderstand? Will I continue to follow Jesus when I misunderstand? That's the first question. The second one is, a little bit different, and I, I struggled with this during the week, getting ready, ready for this and studying. The second question is, how do you follow when you don't understand? And I think there is a difference between misunderstanding and just, I don't understand. I was with a, a group of ladies a little over a week ago, and we were going to talk about prayer, and the hostess of this particular group started out the evening sharing some of her story. She is my friend Whitney, and nine years ago, on her 31st birthday, she had a stroke. Seemingly healthy, and at 31, on her birthday, had a stroke. A two-year-old boy at home, a husband who traveled for business and was gone, and she felt all the things that you would feel in that situation and had all the questions that you would have. And as she laid in that hospital and laid on the table to be rolled in for the MRI, will I, will I speak? Will I move? Will I walk? Will I be able to care for my son? Will I be able to, to be part of my family again? What's going to happen? She did not understand and had so many questions. And what she shared with us that night was that all she could do was call on the name of the Lord. All she could do was call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, give me peace. 
She didn't articulate all of the, the questions. Her focus was, Jesus, give me peace. Would you put the graphic up of those names of God? And what I would suggest to you and what I would encourage you to do is in those moments when you just don't understand, call on the name of the Lord. I love this graphic that has some of the names from scripture, some of the things he was called, some of his titles. Abba, Father, give me comfort. Jesus, give me peace. And what the rest of us in that group were unaware of that night as Whitney started out the evening sharing her story was that another lady, another young woman in the group had just had a seizure just a few days before. Out of the blue, seemingly healthy, had had a seizure. And she was going, this was on on a Friday, she was going Monday for testing. And as Whitney was sharing her story, Kristen sat there with tears running down her face because she she understood Whitney's pain. And in that moment of sharing her story, Whitney encouraged her, encouraged her to call on the name of the Lord, encouraged her that when you don't understand, God is still faithful. When you do not understand, God is still faithful. And I encourage you, when there are those moments that you can tell your story, when you can share God's faithfulness in your life, in Bible speak, we call that your testimony. When you can share your testimony with somebody else, you have no idea if God is using you to encourage that person. If God is using you to build that person's faith, if God is using you to communicate, I am faithful to him and I am faithful to her and I am faithful to you. Even when you don't understand, will you choose to follow? And I guess the option is if you don't choose to follow, do you just sit? at that place and not move with Jesus? But will you follow when you just don't understand? And a third question, will you follow when you're disappointed? Will you follow when you're disappointed? James and John, I think, probably expected Jesus to say, absolutely, you have been with me through this journey. You have been with me from the very beginning. Absolutely, you may have those places. After all, they were part of that inner circle with Peter. I suspect in that moment that they were disappointed and yet they continued to follow. Yet they continued to follow. Do you, will you, the fact that you are upright and moving and got here this morning says to me that you have experienced disappointment and will again. And will you continue to follow 
maybe that disappointment is with yourself. Those disciples who said, yes, we are able to drink of the cup when Jesus asked, yes, we are able, were the same men who just a few short days later could not even stay awake when he asked them to be with him in the garden. Couldn't even stay awake. I've had those moments when I've been disappointed in myself or I've been disappointed in somebody else. Will you follow when you're disappointed? Will you follow when the answer that you receive is not the one you expected and maybe you're disappointed in Jesus? Will you follow? Will you follow when you misunderstand? Will you follow when you just don't understand? When this just doesn't make sense, it came out of nowhere. Will you follow when you're disappointed? You know, the cup, as Jesus used it in answering and asking these questions of James and John, was referring to his death, to those things that were going to happen to him over the next week. And the baptism that he referenced was referencing his death. The cup and the cross are pretty powerful symbols in our faith. And it's interesting to me in, in looking at the cup, and Jesus said, can you, can you drink of this? Can, can you do what I'm going to do? Can you go through what I'm going to go through? And in their enthusiasm, they said yes and could not. There's another reference just shortly after this one in Mark. And in this one, Jesus is in the garden. The guys are asleep, not able to, to stay awake, to stay with him. And he is in prayer to his father. And he says, my heavenly father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass me by. And yet he followed. He followed his father's will to the cross. And I wonder in that moment, in the garden, in, in the agony of that, in the pain of that, I wonder what made him say yes. What, what enabled him to say yes? And I think it was not a show of willpower. I think it was not just staunch determination. I think it was a trust beyond betrayal, a surrender beyond despair, and a love beyond all fear. A trust beyond betrayal, a surrender beyond despair, and a love beyond all fear. And he said a spiritual yes to his Abba Father 
who is the lover of his soul, who is the lover of your soul, he said a deep yes. In pain, he said yes. And Luke tells us that in the midst of this, an angel came to comfort him. In the midst of sorrow was consolation. In the midst of darkness was light. And in the midst of despair was hope. And he followed. And I am asking you today, will you follow anyway? Will you follow in the midst of misunderstanding? In the midst of not understanding? In the midst of disappointment? One more reference to the cup. And that is, we're going to back up a little bit from that garden. And that was when Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room. And this is it. The time is coming very, very quickly now. And at that point, he did not give them a story. And he didn't give them a parable. He didn't give them a homily. He gave them a meal. He gave them a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. He gave them a new cup to drink from. And so we follow. And we are in, in a moment or two, going to follow in remembering that meal that bread and that cup. As we prepare to do that, would you stand with me and together let us pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I would ask our pastors and prayer partners to move to the, the back wall here to your left. Um, if you need to pray with somebody, they are available. Otherwise, we are opening the table of the Lord in remembrance and to partake of...